What's up, everybody? Welcome to TCB. Today's episode is fantastic. Our own Lori Lance and Mark Russell talk us through some tips, tricks, and tools for dealing with and having difficult conversations. If you don't know Mark, he's awesome. He's a customer relationship consultant with over 30 years of sales and account management experience. Mark has spent his career learning and focusing on building engaging relationships with people. His mission is paying it forward. He's a Gallup certified strengths coach and he loves collaboration and helping enable customers and teams to succeed. So with that, let's get right on into it with Lori and Mark on today's Corporate Bartender. Welcome to Sky Team's The Corporate Bartender. If you work in HR or make people decisions in your organization, this is the place to be. Now pull up a stool, belly up to the bar, and join us for The Corporate Bartender. All right, everybody, welcome. Here we are. It is... Uh, back up one, Eric. It is episode 59, 21st of October, 2020. It's almost Halloween time, everybody. So... Um, you know, Halloween is when scary stuff happens. So today we're going to talk about some scary stuff. We're going to uh, we're going to have a segment that I like to call "Difficult Conversations with Lori and Mark." <laughs> That's what today is going to be about. Um, we we do have one one new person here uh, amongst us today, Megan. Hey, Megan. I know that that you uh, are associated loosely with uh, Mark Russell in some capacity. Why don't you tell us just a little bit about who you are, where you are, and tell us one really boring thing about you. <laughs> well, thank you for having me. Uh, yes, uh, I've met Mark earlier this year. Uh, we both went through Gallup's uh, Clifton Strengths certification, not together, nice. but um, around the same time period. And he and I have been partnering on some things. Um, I'm here in Astoria, New York, which is in Queens. And uh, one boring thing about me, um, I like to crochet. Excellent. <laughs> Excellent. And that is that is really boring, Megan. So solid, <laughs> solid. Thanks. No, welcome. You're, you are welcome here for certain. Um, looking forward to to today's experience. Um, Deborah's just typed into chat. She says, yay, Queens. She's from Bayside. So there you go, Megan. A connection. <laughs> we'll, um, need to, we'll need to meet up when it's... Uh, when we can again. When we can do that, right? So uh, shameless self-promotion. I want to plug an article that I put out today. It's called I'm Not Okay, and that's okay, I, I think. And you can get to it uh, via my LinkedIn or through this link here, skyteam.cloud slash not okay. Um, love to get your thoughts on it. I posted it in the Bartender Network, um, which is here. If you're not a member of the bartender network, go there and sign up because it's a lot of fun. Um, but I'd love to get your thoughts on the article. Um, just, I'm trying to, to do a little brand building here in advance of this book that my partner in crime, Miss Barrett over there, um, are working on with Ruby. So we've, we've got a, a book in the works that we're, we're trying to, to, uh, shop to like a legitimate publisher and, try to get that out in the next year or so. So um, this is the, the, the lead up to it. I need, I need my tribe for this book thing. So counting on you all. Right, Morag, anything you want to say about this book? No, but we may be working offline on your sales pitch. This is going to be <laughs> bloody amazing. And Eric's <laughs> writing style, I fucking love it. So <laughs> it might be a bit fuckery and I go, not enough. It's fine. No. So look, for I get to turn book. the fuck button up a little bit. Really? Well, maybe not actually. Now I'm going to blush, but we're going to work on that sales pitch because we're not just talking <laughs> about this is a, they're going to be fighting over it. So you're the first to hear. Watch this. Watch this space. All right. A couple of headlines before we get into today's, into today's topic. I was, I was on a hunt for, um, the way HR is changing, and I, I, I stumbled on an article which kind of led me down a rabbit hole. The, the first one is this article on Axios <clears throat> called The Evolution of HR, and it, was, it caught my attention because um, one of the, the uh, anchor points in the article here was talking about how uh, 
HR went from pretty much being automated to being highlighted in the past six months. You know, in the Q4 of last year, the the article touts that a lot of the HR process oriented stuff was being being outsourced. HR was being kind of marginalized in a lot of capacities, um, but then all hell broke loose and it's HR was being counted on to have all the answers. I know my my good friend Karen Sebring can relate to this. People coming to her saying, so what are we doing now? Um, it, and it was interesting in that it said that companies are leaning on their their heads of human resources to lead this response and shape growth strategy. Um, so I thought that was kind of cool. Pretty interesting. Um, there was an HBR article called HR Jobs of the Future, which I thought was really interesting because it bucketed things. You can, you can see in this graphic here, it goes out to 2030 and it talks about uh, the level of tech centricity, um, but it bucketed it. HR jobs into these, these big uh, categories, individual and organizational resilience, organizational trust and safety, creativity and innovation, data literacy, and this one that really caught my eye, human machine partnerships. And one of the, the jobs described in the human machine partnerships uh, bucket was a chat bot coach. And if you think about it, a lot of companies, first line customer support is now happening through online chat. That's not actually a human being. Um, so this job has been, you know, kind of identified as a potential job of someone who helps coach the AI to provide responses to customer query, which I thought was pretty, pretty weird and pretty interesting. VR immersion counselor. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah, and 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 you'll see the diversity officer is genetic diversity officer. Yikes. Yeah, so it, it was interesting because this was put together by a hundred CHROs, CLOs, and VPs of of talent and HR. Just kind of crazy to think about, you know, where HR has been <laughs> over the over the last ten years. This is ten years from their point of view. I thought that was pretty, pretty crazy. Um, and another headline here from the, wow, why didn't we talk about this before? But how crazy is this department? <laughs> Some organizations are bringing marketing and HR under a single leader. The, the pitch being, it's all about messaging. One's external and one's internal. Why don't we do that? And we've kind of seen that with communications in the past. Um, but to, to just take a broad brush and push HR and marketing together, I thought that was kind of, it's kind of a big thought. <laughs> Laurel, Laurel, Laurel asks if that means she has to like, start liking her marketing people. Uh Oh, uh Oh, Dukes are off. Deborah's picking a fight with Laurel. We, you know, maybe we'll have to pause today's discussion, Lori, because that might be more fun to watch. Or maybe uh, get a case study. <laughs> 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 uh, last one was just uh, this insights from a CHRO uh, column that I read from time to time had a, the person from Payscale talking about how HR can help leaders prepare for the unimaginable, which is now kind of imaginable because we have several examples of things that we are living through in this crazy dumpster fire that is 2020. So as always, I'll throw those links in the bartender network. And if you guys come across anything that you think is interesting, please send it my way. So I just think we that, should put across the, the across the right is just like straight in the middle is because freaking miracle worker is not a job. Title. <laughs> <laughs> That's all it needs. Yeah. It, Laurel, Laurel has a shirt that says something to that effect. I, I do too. <laughs> <laughs> nice. All right. Well, with that, we're going to have some difficult conversations with Lori and Mark, and I'm going to hand the reins over to Miss Lori, and right. I will jump out here. Awesome. Thank you. So um, it's interesting because Mark and Eric and I were talking after one of the episodes and uh, kind of thinking about 
some some of the things that are just universal across any organization, any role that you have, any level of experience you might have. Um, people struggle with having difficult conversations. People struggle with navigating conflicts. It's kind of a, a human thing that that connects us all. And whenever I'm doing training on those topics, that's always the most highly attended <laughs> content that I that I ever present. And so um, we thought that it would it would be kind of interesting to blend some of my experiences with some of Mark's experiences as a coach, um, my experiences as a HR person for ever <laughs> many years and and just kind of talk about how do we how do we kind of internalize these things ourselves to try to get better and then what are things that we try to share with others to help them feel better so so uh yeah difficult conversations i i had started a deck and i named it difficult conversations with mark russell and i sent it to him and he said yeah probably some of my bosses would agree with that <laughs> that statement. So it just kind of cracked me up. So that's, that's not really what it is. It's, we're just talking about the, the topic in general. So um, for those of you who don't know a lot about Mark, I had not met Mark before bartender. So um, I have a, I have a little bio here for you. So uh, since retirement, he put in quotes, he founded this uh, business relationship group is the name of his, uh, his business. And he just started that last October. So interesting timing for starting your new business um, right before this all hit the fan. Yeah. Um, how's that working out for you, Mark? <laughs> wonderful. <laughs> so his focus is on assisting organizations in enhancing their customer success and engagement strategies. Um, his why, which I love this, that you've defined your why. When you get where you're going, don't forget to turn back around and help, help the next one in line. And he offers extra points to the person who can name that song an artist. Is that ringing a bell for anybody? When you get where you're going, don't forget to turn back around and help the next one in line. Is that Somebody the country? Yeah. <laughs> Always stay humble and kind. That's uh... Yeah, yeah. So that's his why, giving back. Um, his connection to this group, uh, he had originally met Morag as she delivered a leadership development program at eCollege in 2007 and um, has been an ally ever since. So uh, recently became a Gallup certified coach, uh, strongly believes that without the individual contributors and internal team knowing what they do best every day and working together in a uh, customer-centric mindset, business strategies will most likely go unexecuted. So really looking at how does talent and knowing what we're good at drive the execution of whatever your, your strategy is. Um, he's very appreciative of how Corporate Bartender Group has welcomed him with open arms, feeding his learner strength theme. So it's uh, super fun to, to have you here um, always, but especially fun to be talking with you today, Mark. So, so thanks for that. Thank you, Laurie. Uh, so, so when we started to talk about this particular topic, pardon me, wanted to give back to the group because I had been in a receiving mode uh, basically for three, four months, you know, learning from all of you. And so I posed the, uh, the opportunity to Eric and he included Lori right away. I didn't know Lori was the co-bartender or else I would have been tipping a lot more, uh, you know, from that perspective. So, uh, but it's most true. Of, it's a true story. <laughs> and, and your check is in the mail, Eric. Um, so I must be lost someplace. Yeah, uh, it's okay. <laughs> But, but most of my year, uh, most of my career was as a practitioner. So mostly being in sales, sales management, account management, customer success, strategic partnerships, use a variety of different titles. And, and this is one that as I've started working with this one organization uh, that is in the K-12 education business, um, you know, these things are really starting to pop up. And first I'll say that confidentiality is core to my business. Uh, you know, as I'm working with all the individuals. And so, uh, but I feel that since I'm with HR professionals, uh, I can share a little bit more context. So it makes a little bit more sense um, around what we're, what we're looking at. So, so the whole concept of this really became more from uh, a woman who basically is in her, I'll say late twenties, uh, originally from the Bronx, New York, uh, very tough-minded, very direct, very passionate. 
And uh, she emancipated herself from the parent, her parents at the age of 13 uh, because of she just said issues that I prefer not to go into. Uh, she helped raise her younger siblings and she's evolved to where she was working part time, put herself through school, uh, didn't stay in that particular career. Uh, she was told, you know, when she was working part time, gee, you really shouldn't do this school thing. It's not going to really amount to anything and help you, uh, which only motivated her, you know, all the more so as a uh, tough minded New Yorker. And uh, from that perspective, she's now with this organization and she's worked her way up to now a team lead. Unfortunately, uh, probably four or five months ago in a meeting, uh, her director, who I also had previously coached during the early stages of COVID, uh, turned around and in a meeting with her and one of her peers said, hey, great news, you guys are going to get promoted to manager. Well, you know the rest of the story. About a month and a half ago, uh, one was being told you're being promoted, the other one, you know, nothing. And then she's like, well, what do I have to do to get promoted? And she goes, well, first thing you got to help clean up this 400 caseload of, uh, you know, customer contacts and things that they do in their department, uh, et cetera. And so she took that task, accomplished that task, went back to the manager right around the time we started working together. And my first session is always wrapped around their Gallup strength profile. So we talk about them first. That first session is all about them. And then we get into how to be a manager. And I think when we were talking about all the attributes of what makes managers great and how you transform from being a boss to a coach, uh, which is a core Gallup concept, which I really you know, embrace, uh, she started to really then say, well, I'm not a manager. I'm only a team lead. And this is what happened. And I did my best listening uh, you know, from that perspective. So we started to talk about how can she approach her director in a less emotional way. And you'll hear another story about me in a little bit about my level of emotion at times uh, because you become passionate. And so we really started to work through these elements about how to be very factual, how to understand your boss, because now you know her talent themes, you know where you know, she's strong at, and how can you have that difficult conversation? How can you really say, okay, what's happened in the past, we can't worry about what do we focus on today? What do we look for in the future? Along with that, we also, and I, I have this friend who wrote this great book called Cultivate. I can't remember her name, but I also incorporate my uh, four relationship types as a part of my leadership development program for them. And we spoke about who are your allies, your supporters, rivals, adversaries, and how do you differentiate between those? And she said, well, you know, I talked to the other, quote, new manager who I thought was my ally, and I can't believe that she asked me, well, why do you want to be a manager? And all of a sudden, she was like, okay, now I felt like she was no longer supporting me. I feel like she's my adversary. She's not supporting me. And I talked a little bit about, well, let's look, take a step back. What was the intent? What was, how did you receive it? And from that perspective, now we turn around and say, what's our next level of conversation? And believe it or not, something obviously hit a nerve. It hit her hot buttons. So Lori? So um, one of the things that, that we talked about is, is kind of a critical concept around this is this idea of intention versus impact, right? Because that's a thing that we <laughs> that we can can struggle with on uh, kind of a, a regular basis, right? Where we um, where we judge ourselves on our intent, right? That's always what's happening. However, we judge everyone else on their impact, right? Which means we're always being judged on our impact on others, right? So we have this kind of almost at a double standard where I know what my intention is. And that's, you know, that's where I'm coming from, but I'm going to judge everybody else on, on their impact on me. And so one of the things that, that we talk about a lot, and, and this fits in so many different categories of, <laughs> of leadership or just, you know, communicating with other humans is really stepping back to understand where, where are their differences? If there, if our intention doesn't always match our impact, 
then that's where a lot of conflict can happen. That's where a lot of difficult conversations can arise. That's where a lot of hot buttons can be pushed. And so one of the things that we can do in in terms of navigating conflict is always being really mindful about, first of all, being, being clear about our own intention and even being able to articulate that to other people, right? Declaring our intent. And it's also giving people space right? To, to ask that question, I, I wonder what their intention was, right? It hit me this way, it pushed my buttons here, but I wonder what their intention was because most people don't get out of bed every morning and think, man, how can I really piss off Mark today, right? What's the thing that's really going to get under his skin? <laughs> most people, not, right? I'm not saying a hundred percent. Maybe. <laughs> Right. But people come into interactions with their own stuff, whatever they brought with them that day, that week, that whatever. And uh, we're coming in with our own stuff. And sometimes we we hit each other in a way that that creates these raised emotions. And so being able to just do that simple thing of stepping back and thinking, I wonder what their intention was, right? Or am I being clear about my intention? I'm clearly pushing their buttons. So maybe I should back up here and, and re-clarify that, right? Reset the stage there. And if you were on um, one of the corporate bartender episodes that we did a while back, I did some highlights about um, building high trust relationships. And we talked about in the speed of trust, there are those four cores of credibility that we talked about, right? Where we have integrity, intention, capability, and results. And when we looked at the one that was intention, we used the analogy of the turn signal in the car, if you remember that, right? And so when we, when we assume people understand our intention or we leave that out of the conversation, it can feel like cutting somebody off without signaling, right? Driving down the road, cutting somebody off because we didn't signal our intention. So, so that's one of the practices that I think we can try to try to call up both when our hot buttons have been pushed or when we potentially are push, pushing somebody else's that intentions probably are not matching impact at this point in time. So, so how can we recover that situation? So, uh, so that one, I, I just love that one, intention versus impact. It's super helpful when we're giving other people feedback, right? Um, it may not have been your intention, but the impact of your comment, your behavior, your message, your email was, right? So it's it's not attacking them as a as a person. It's, it's giving them room that this probably wasn't your intention, but here's how it came across. Um, we can also check in to ask for feedback that way. I want to make sure that my... Um, intention was clear in in that meeting that I'm, I'm aligned with how I came across, right? Can, did I did I do that well? Um, or to just let somebody know if you if you feel like there's going to be some high emotion or maybe some disagreement to be able to say, hey, my intention in bringing this up with you is to clarify a misunderstanding I think we had or to make sure that we stay on the same page because it's important that we work well together, right? So we can overtly declare that intent and that helps minimize that gap between intention and impact. So um, any any thoughts on that real quick? Because I, I'm excited to get to the hot buttons conversation that, that Mark alluded to here in a second. But is this a, is this a new concept? Have you heard this before? Any thoughts on that? Um, Laura Chapin in, in comments said, so true, I think, uh, the ladder of inference is great too, related to mm. the concept. Yeah. Cr crazy how fast we make assumptions and act on them. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I love this concept. We, we preach it in just about every workshop that we do mm -hmm. <clears throat> because it, it's, it's so relevant, right? The stories that we write about other people's messaging <clears throat> because of our lack of understanding of their intention, mm -hmm. right? It's, 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 it's so relevant, I think, to just about every human interaction that we have. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and one other point I'll share is, and thank God Marek doesn't charge me like a royalty every time I use the hijacking <laughs> example. Um, but that's so true because then all of a sudden when you're in that emotional state and the impact is like, you're going all over the place and all of a sudden everything else turns bad. 
And that's where, you know, part of my coaching with this one person was, okay, sometimes you do have to take that step back. You have to, you know, go out for that walk. You have to do some different things uh, just to get your mind off of that and then come back. You know, I remember in the early days of email, you know, the dreaded, I accidentally hit reply all instead of just reply. And then I've had more than quote, one coaching conversation with Mark, maybe you should think about that 24 hour rule. I know it's, you know, 10 o'clock at night, you've been traveling all day, you've been meeting all day and people you're behind. Someone says something the wrong way. And my intention was one way, but the impact definitely did not execute as well as I had uh, intended. So I've had to use that 24 hour rule quite a bit. Yeah, yeah. All right, so um, hot buttons. <laughs> what, what is a hot button, right? These are words, actions, people, situations that can just set you off, right? And hot buttons can become an irritant, right? Enough to actually provoke conflict or to raise the, you know, amygdala hijack kind of response where you, you just kind of have a, a reaction versus choosing a response to something, right? And so, um, but they're but they're different and they're very, for different people and they're highly contextual, right? Because as I, I love when Eric says this, when, when he's talking about hot buttons, he says, there's, there's some things that I could say that wouldn't even phase you, but if your significant other said them, you would lose your mind, <laughs> right? And so- yeah. <laughs> you have to think of these things as, as contextual as well. And, and what's the quality of the relationship that you have with this person or what's the circumstance in front of you. Um, so they can be different for, for us. We can each have different kinds of hot buttons, but the thing that's interesting is that we typically have some that are the big ones for us, right? The ones that are just like, Oh, that really bugs me when, this, that, or the other kind of happens. And so what I'm curious about is I'm going to put up a poll here in a second, and I want you to pick your top two hot buttons, right? The things that really get to you um, out of a list of one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, right? So I'm going to have you pick two out of nine. Um, maybe there's there's another one you're thinking of that's not represented there, but but if, you know, of the ones you see, what are the big ones that that can really get to you. So I'm gonna um, go ahead and launch this poll, give you a couple minutes and then we'll debrief this for a sec. Okay, you should be able to see that now. Only two? <laughs> Only two. Hmm. If I set the poll up correctly. <laughs> it only lets you pick one. Okay, pick your top. I can only pick one. That really sets you. What's the one that really sets you? That's that's my and fault. You can't Sorry. Click it. <laughs> Why we can't have nice things, Eric. <laughs> I I had one job. He did it just to demonstrate hot buttons under pressure. Nicely done there, Eric. Mm. Thanks. Thank you. You know me well, Morag. <laughs> Great experiential learning. <laughs> okay. Looks like maybe one more person to vote. Are we, we good? There it is. Okay. So let's take a look at these results. Okay. So it looks like uh, the one that came in the highest was the untrustworthy or suspicious characters can be a hot button for, for many of you, okay? Um, looks like we've got um, kind of the openly hostile, aggressive kind of person, right? Seems pretty off-putting <laughs> for, for a few. Uh, micromanaging, unreliable, yeah. So, and you can see some of these others, right? Perfectionist or unappreciative or the aloof, the um, abrasive snarky pants. So, so there's a lot of different things that can, that can just set us off and, and get under our skin. And so, um, one of the things that is, is super important, important around navigating conflict or these difficult conversations is having self-awareness about what our own reactions tend to be, right? Understanding what gets to us. And then what are our, what are our default reactions? Do you, 
do you um, avoid, right? Do you dive in and put up your dukes? Uh, do you, you know, what, what is your style? And we don't have time to go into to all of that today, but I think even just first recognizing what your hot buttons are and then what, what do you do when those have been pushed, right? How do you, how do you mitigate that? What are some things you can do to, to mitigate that amygdala hijack, so to speak? So where, what do y'all think? What, what's your go-to when you realize that you've been escalated that like, oof, this isn't going to go well. What are some things that, that you can do? This is the audience participation part other than Laurie and I. So you go. I just want to remind everyone. And I just want to point out, I did click on untrust hostile. So I'm feeling a little God at now. <laughs> so I come out fighting. Okay. Uh-huh. All right. Laurie, you talk about this all the time. Look at people's behavior with curiosity and try to take a step back and tell yourself that this isn't malicious intent mm-hmm. and try to look at, try to inquire and have that conversation with the person try to stay level-headed about it. Yeah. That uh, curiosity versus judgment is a simple concept and super hard to do in the moment moment when you want to come out fighting. Right? Yeah. <laughs> when you have, I, mean, I can't believe you just said that experience. Yeah. Eric. Yeah, I, I mean, for me, it, it's creating space, right? Because <clears throat> there's a there's a fundamental difference between reacting and responding, and with 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 any sort of space, whether that's taking a breath, whether that's you know pushing the pause button, and and asking for that conversation to happen later, um, whether that's just asking yourself a question, because you know, as Mark, as you know, when you hijack your bloodstream is, is loaded with hormones, cortisol, testosterone, epinephrine, um, and blood and oxygen are directed away from your brain into your large limbs. Cause you're going to fight somebody or you're going to run away. So a question actually redirects blood flow back up to your brain, blood and oxygen. And uh, re-engages neocortical function, which gets subjugated when your limbic system hijacks you out. So putting in just a comma in that conversation, because I know, I don't know about you guys, but who here has ever been in an argument with somebody where in the middle of the argument, you realize that you did not give a shit about the thing you were arguing about? Right. You have this out of body experience where, you, you know, you finally come back into reality and you say, I don't really care which side of the sink the soap goes on. Why am I arguing so hard about it? Drop the shovel, dude. <laughs> so it's that space bit. Yeah, that's what that's that's my thing. Yeah, the, even just that simple, like if you can think of nothing else to just breathe and think about I'm breathing right now. Right. Because it diverts the attention from the, the emotion back up into your thinking brain. And For sure. then you can start to choose a reaction. Then you can start to say, what's my next move here? Instead of turning around and going, well, that wasn't my best work. <laughs> <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> but, um, you know, there's, there's a lot of things. And, and then, and, and Mark, I want to get to what you, you had a really, um, really insightful thought about hot buttons and, and how we react as well. So, so before I flip to this, this next slide, do you want to share what you, you talked about around the, somebody, somebody commented about you with hot buttons? Yes. Uh, so there was a time, believe it or not, and some may debate there still is, but uh, I had a boss that as we went through like budget period and things, you know, as, as I talked about, one of my hot buttons was questioning my integrity, questioning how um, I was performing, not so much from a numbers perspective, but more of did I know as much as I should about our customers and things like that. And I took a lot of you know, effort in making sure I understood and I could debate you know, from that perspective. But I had a boss one time said, you know, when it comes to the projection time and the budget time, you become Vesuvius. 
you're very calm and everything. And then all of a sudden, boom, some hot button hits you. And then all of a sudden you just kind of, you know, lose your train of thought. And some of the best coaching I got from him, as well as how I'm helping other people is think of a situation when the shoe's been on the other foot and that calming person that I'm frustrated with and I'm, you know, emotional about how did they react in a positive way? And then all of a sudden try and rewind that, um, you know, rewind that scene to say, okay, now this is how I have to mirror. This is how I want to mirror myself. So let me think back to that. And one of the other things we talk about too, is that sometimes your greatest attribute becomes one of your bigger detriments. And so they had raised to me the fact that Mark, you're so passionate about what you do uh, because you want the best for your customers. You want the best for your yourself, the company, but sometimes you let that passion overtake you. And candidly, that's where, you know, I've had the conversation with the one person now. It's like, you know, you're, you're so passionate about what you do and you're so passionate about how you've persevered and how you've persisted and you haven't given up. But now when you got frustrated, that passion came out kind of in that wrong way, uh, you know, from that perspective. So, again, those are things that, you know, we also try and help people understand better. And I'm still learning uh, you know, how to refocus some of that energy. Uh, one of the, you know, again, not a shameless plug, but from a strengths perspective, the good news is as, as we're working with teams and they all understand where everyone is coming from, it's that diversity that really brings it together. Uh, you know, I'm a futurist. I can look strategically. I can think five years out, but I always had this, you know, no disrespect, but the Debbie Downer, the negative Nelly, or maybe it's now negative Neil, just to be uh, equal footing. They're, they're always shooting me down. But what you find out is, well, no, they're analytical. They're deliberate. They're the ones that want to dot the I's and cross the T's, and they want to make sure operationally everything is sound uh, so you can execute that. But when you're in the middle of those conversations and you don't understand what other value someone else is bringing, then all of a sudden, you run into that all of a sudden now you have conflict between two employees. Don't put me in another meeting with so-and-so because they're just a pain in my ass all the time. And, you know, and that's not the intent uh, going back to our intent and impact. So. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. So those, those hijack moments or those um, right. Hot buttons getting pushed. There's, there's kind of these, these simple things that we can think about, right? Those kind of first level immediate things that we can try to become habit where breathing, right? Job number one, the deep breath. Um, if you're not able to take a break or step away or whatever, really just breathing. If you can take a break, totally fair. If, it, if it's a written communication, that's a little bit easier to do. You can maybe draft your email, but not send it and go, take a break and then come back and revisit that. But it's also completely legitimate in the moment to say, I'm probably not going to respond well right now. Can we take a break for a couple of minutes? So, so I can, you know, just, just clear my head for a minute, right? Rather than just forging forward, just acknowledge what's true for you, right? I'm a little worked up right now, probably not going to say things that I mean. <laughs> so can we take a break? Um, it also signals to that person, maybe that they need a break or that they've unintentionally pushed your buttons. So maybe they they can be thinking about, oh gosh, I didn't mean to do that. How do we get this back on track? Right? So taking the break, um, literally changing your physical posture can, it, you'll notice, right? Why are my hands clenched? Right. Why am I gripping the edge of the table? Why are you know, wh whatever is going on, if you can just get into your body and, and be thoughtful about, OK, I just need to lean back for a second. Right. Some of those simple things can can change how your brain is processing in that moment. Um, so I'm always amazed at how 15 year old teenagers determined and figured out how to push their parents buttons. I'm just, you know, oh, like they're masters at that, dude. Yeah, I, there must be a class in school that they give now because it's amazing how we, even as adults, right, or we think we're adults, you get that same situation even at home. So, Being a former child myself, I'm sure I did that once or twice as well. So it's payback. Yeah. Whenever I do the hot buttons exercise, I use a, a thing that my oldest child used to do to me 
because I, I I'm a professional at this. I I know what to expect. I know how to engage in this sort of psychological warfare. <laughs> and <clears throat> without fail, every time she would do a thing that's a very uh, complex teenage girl maneuver. I call it the sigh roll. It's where one rolls their eyes back into their head while simultaneously exhaling very loudly. Um, <laughs> it looks like this. <laughs> Whenever she would do that, I would lose my mind, right? I start meeting out punishments that I'm never going to enforce. Um, I send her away. I end up doing the thing that she was supposed to do. Then I feel bad and I apologize. Yeah, I know better. So um, I know better. Well, that's good. Keep that thought for for something uh, something that's coming up because that's a that's a great example. Um, yeah, we'll we'll come back to that. That's great. Um, <laughs> I think one of the really interesting things about this is that this being thoughtful about your story. Right, we make up stuff real fast. Right. We, we have, they say something, we heard it this way. It, it instantly, we make meaning out of it. And now it is truth. Right. And typically when we don't have all of the information, which is pretty much always our brains have to fill in the blanks, right? It has to complete the story. And for whatever reason, as humans, um, those stories tend to be personal and they tend to be negative, right? The story that we fill in, um, usually does not grant space for, I wonder what their intention was, or could 1% of what they said be true, right? That's not our initial reaction. Our initial reaction tends to be very personal and, and negative. So even just pausing that to say, okay, I've written a story here, right? I've Lori? Yeah, yeah. Lori. On that one, I love that you just reminded me of that. Um, not, not where I am now, but the firm I was before. As part of our emotional intelligence and like ladder of inference training that really took hold in the organization. Like it was really embraced culturally. Mm -hmm. The um, methods that we embraced and you'd actually hear people use it like all the time was like when things got heated, you know, you went up that ladder or you got emotionally hijacked. We would literally say out loud and it kind of got that space. We would literally use that terminology. We'd say, okay, the story I'm telling myself right now is, blah, 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 blah. And then you'd kind of get it out there and check all those assumptions. And then the other person would, you know, well, let me tell you where I, the story I'm telling myself is right now. And then you could come back down that ladder and the emotions would come down and you could get to the facts and recognize intention. And I saw it work so many times. I was a little skeptical at first, like, are we really going to do this? <laughs> and it really worked, um, most of the time, quite beautifully, because it was an accepted way of resolving conflict and holding each other accountable and maintaining relationship. And I've never worked anywhere that does it like that. So yeah, that's I, a, I think it's a really great technique. Cultural norm, right? To mm -hmm. that that this is this is how we acknowledge that something has gone awry. That's great. I love it. Yeah, this uh, the story I'm telling. What was the how, what was the phrase? Uh, the story I'm telling myself is, and then share like whatever's going on for you, right? Like the assumptions you made or how you're feeling, or here's what you did and why, or whatever it is. <laughs> yeah. The story I'm telling myself is. Cool. Nice. That's awesome. I yeah. love that. That kind of goes with that next one, right? You're responsible for how you feel. Mm -hmm. This can be a hard one to accept because we can fall into a, a victim stance of they've made me feel this way. They, it's, it's their fault that I'm in this place. It's because Mark pisses me off. It's his fault. <laughs> right. And that's, that's a, that's a hard thing for us to, to take responsibility for is, no, is that these are actually my feelings, right? Mm -hmm. Nobody makes me feel these ways. They, and, mm -hmm. and it's okay to feel however you feel this. None of this is about not having emotions. It's, it's not about never having feelings of anger or fear or embarrassment or resentment, right? Those are going to happen period all good. And it's up to us to choose what to do with those feelings, right? It's not anybody else's fault that I have them. I just have them. So now I can decide what's my move, right? And then you can start to get into that space of now I can choose my response instead of just reacting to how I'm feeling. So great. Awesome. Um, 
Let me see. There's there's this concept, and and Mark, I'm sure you've run across this with your clients as well. This idea of the dance, right? So using Eric's example of something that would happen between he and his daughter, right? She would do a thing and he would react in a way, and that cha-cha looked the same every time, right? That's how we engage. We walk up to each other and we start doing the cha-cha. But what we realize is that sometimes we have these dances with people and we don't like the results of that dance. We don't like how it feels. We don't like where it goes. We don't like who we are in those moments. And so one of the most powerful things to, to learn is that you can change the dance, right? You can actually choose to engage differently. And, and they fall into kind of these different categories of, um, and, and actually, you can you can accept the dance. You can know, yep, we're going to cha-cha every time, right? And I'm just going to decide that that's okay. I'm participating in that, and that's how I'm going to let it be. So that's cool. Um, you can go to the avoid piece where I'm just going to stay away from that as much as I possibly can. I'm going to minimize my interactions. I'm going to right make that as small as possible and avoid it as much as I can. Cool. Um, there are circumstances in which you can abandon the dance, right? That's a little bit harder at work unless you're really to the point of I'm out of here. I'm actually going to quit and, and leave this relationship in that way. Um, but there are some circumstances where you can say this is not serving me anymore and I'm going to make that choice to, to abandon that dance. Or I can act on that, right? I can walk up to the person and start a waltz. We always cha-cha and it goes right into the toilet. And so what can I do about it, right? I can show up and start a different dance. Now, they may look at me like I have three heads, right? Like, what are you doing? What? <laughs> we might step on each other's toes a little bit and it might be awkward and, and all of that, but that's part of that setting the intention. I want this to be different and I can't make anybody do anything else, but I can do something different. So I can change the dance. And I think that's a really empowering thing to recognize that when we have maybe these recurring relationships or interactions with people that are difficult and we don't know what to do about them, we do have a choice, right? And one of the most powerful ones is, is you can go change the dance. But Lori, it's so hard. <laughs> It is, and it takes that assessment piece too. You have to be reflective, right? You have to, and sometimes that's all in the rear view mirror, right? We go through this lab of life where I have to actually thought, be thoughtful about why does that suck every time I interact with that person? What is going on there, right? So, so how do you reel that in, right? How do you pull that back? How do you break the pattern? <clears throat> because I found myself in patterns with people where when I'd see their phone number pop up on my phone, I would write the story. Fuck that. I'm not answering that call because she's mad at me. I'm in trouble. Wh whatever my story was. <clears throat> and it was like that every time. And when I shook it out and actually had the conversation, it was never as bad as I expected it to be, but that was my, that was my imprint. That was the dance mm -hmm. and, and, and breaking it in the moment. And I know all this stuff, right? Breaking that in the moment <clears throat> was nigh on impossible for me. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. some, sometimes it really depends on the size of the organization or the team that you're with. And in large companies, large organizations, and I've been with the global, you know, 500 and, you know, 100,000 plus employees and things like that. And you can hide, you can avoid a lot easier than all of a sudden you're in a 25 or, yeah, three person company or, a, you know, a 25 person or a 15 person company. And especially during those times. So that's where you really have to kind of rise above it and, you know, even from a departmental side, we were, we're talking to these folks and they're in a group of roughly 120 people, which includes contractors when they have very busy periods, they bring in, you know, supplemental help, but it's almost like to avoid it is not going to solve the problem. So how can you use your best foot forward and be able to sit down? And, you know, another phrase that I've learned that I love is when you lead with positive intent, and everyone knows that, then all of a sudden it makes that conversation a little easier. And we know we all wanna get here 
you may be taking this route, I may be taking that route. And if either route will work, and is it worth you know dying on the hill for? Great, I, I can do that. Or maybe we can navigate to say, how can we meet somewhere in the middle and be able to find that level of, you know, I'll say compromise. That way we both feel good about what we're doing. We can both buy into, you know, the days of the blind obedience just doesn't work anymore. So again, you have to use your best professionalism to say, put on your big boy pants and let's have that difficult conversation because ultimately we're going, or maybe shorts if you're wearing them, you know, I was dressed up today. So, um, but you know, let's just get through this and get on the right path forward and be able to uh, move forward from there. And I think that's the difficult thing for also new managers sometimes because they've only been on the receiving end. And a lot of times they haven't had those conversations, but yet you may have, if you've been in music or sports or in theater, there's a lot of creative differences that you have to work yourself through. So it's reminding people of, hey, what's worked before for you? And now from there, let's try and apply that, you know, here as well, as long as you do it with respect and leading with positive intent. Yeah. So the perfect, perfect segue. It's as if we planned this. So, <laughs> so um, one of the things that um, I find resonates with people when I'm, when I'm working through this kind of concept is there's a lot going on on this slide, so let me <laughs> try to break down a little bit. So on the on the left-hand side where it's red, right, the text is in red, and we can all relate to these kinds of um, experiences or feelings within ourselves or even outcomes that we that we can have when we're in conflict, when we're hijacked, when we're dealing with a difficult conversation, right, where we, we feel compelled to protect and defend and to be right and to win and, um, right, it can become hostile. And it's all, all of those things that, that feel red, right? They feel escalated. And pretty much all of those things, all of those as, as our behaviors or as the outcomes are driven by feelings, right? When you're hijacked and you just react, right? This is where things tend to go. On the other side, you see all of the text in green that can also be the outcomes, that can also be the behaviors that we choose when we're in conflict with someone, when we're having a difficult conversation. But these are driven by our intentions, right? This is that space between, right? The choice point. I've had, I have a feeling and now I'm going to make a choice. And we can go down the, the red behaviors side to the red outcomes, or we can be intentional about choosing the, the green outcomes and the, the green behaviors. And, and Eric, to your point about how do, you, how do you get past that trigger point, right? When the immediate reaction is like, the phone is lava, <laughs> right? That's, that's the reaction. Um, and, and maybe it, there's just, there's an anchor, it's curiosity or it's um, what the, the long-term, right? I'm in it for the long-term relationship, not the heat of the moment, but what's, what's the bigger gain? Um, but, but shifting the mindset to be based on intention versus reacting out of, out of feelings. And when you look at the, the triangle in the center where you have intentions or how we're perceived either way mm -hmm. on top and you've got behaviors on one side and you have feelings on the other. If you, if you start the triangle, right? If you start that path on feelings, feelings are going to dictate your behavior. That's going to be how you're perceived. That's probably going to reinforce the feelings that you have, which is going to double down on your behaviors, right? And you keep going around the circle until you're driven into these red outcomes, yeah. right? Now flip that and let's say we start at the top with intention and we go the other direction. If we have our intentions drive our behaviors, then those actually can change our feelings, right? If we start with the mindset of curiosity and so my first behavior is to ask a question, I'm probably deactivated right then, right? Or deescalated right then because I put myself in a place of curiosity. So then I have a, a feeling that reinforces my intention, 
right? Okay, this is working. This is good. I'm going to stay curious. And so we, we go in the other direction, starting with our, our intentions, and that drives us to the green outcomes, right? That's what drives us to higher trust relationships or to getting to cooperation and mutual gain and that, you know, trying to understand their perspective and truly listen. So really thinking about how feelings drive the red side of the, the slide, intentions drive the green. So if we can rewire, right? Because it's our always the wiring, the neural pathways. That's the automaticity. That's how we do things. And you have to be super diligent about, ooh, that's happening right now. Pick something else. Ooh, that's happening again. Pick something else. And you have to do it over and over and over, right? And sometimes you don't because this is a recovery model. This is not a perfection model, as my friend Kelly Weingarten used to say. Um, and but but it becomes it becomes practice, right? And you have to you have to want that, I guess, is kind of the bottom line. So does that does that resonate? Does that make sense of how the different things drive us differently? It it, it does. It's, it, it's interesting. We use a a, a similar triangle. <clears throat> we call it the feel think do loop. Mm -hmm. um, and when you're making the intentional choice to go red or green, <clears throat> that's okay. If you want to make a choice to go red, peace, good on you, right? <clears throat> but what we don't want to have happen is that where we skip think and it's just feel do. We we have a feeling and we we do an action, mm -hmm. right? Unintentionally, and that's why we find ourselves in that. <clears throat> excuse me, in that. Um, argument about which side of the sink the soap goes on or where you put your toothbrush, right? It's, it's, mm -hmm. it's the reaction versus the response. And, and what I really love about this is, is the notion that there, there is a discipline in managing our own reaction in the moment, mm -hmm. right? Because I think a lot of times we just get caught up in the emotional roller coaster that is, and <clears throat> we feel sometimes righteously indignant in defending those positions mm -hmm. um, that really don't warrant it. And, and, and we end up damaging relationships that, that don't need to be damaged. Right. We, we had, we just been paying attention to our own stories, processing and reactions. Uh, we, we could, we could mitigate all of that. Yeah. But, being humans is messy. Well, and super important to recognize feelings are not red or green. They mm -hmm. just, feelings just are. You don't have to put those in buckets. You don't have to assess them that way. You, what you need to do is acknowledge that you're having them. Yeah. Right. Whatever that emotion is, whatever that feeling is all good. Right. But it's, it's when you can make that choice to do something and sometimes it is, nope, I'm going to get into it, right? I'm going to get fired up in this moment. Cool. But you chose it. <laughs> yeah, no, peace on that, right? If you choose it, go push all the chips to the middle of the table, right? Do that thing. But it, it's when we we do the thing and we realize, oh, that, that was probably a bad choice. Yeah. And then you have to do damage control and un, try to mitigate the 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 impact of the of the, the the choices that you made that's what makes it hard yeah. my last point will also be is how you express and the the volume of your voice one of the more interesting conversations i was on the outside is i had a client and i had our chief technology officer talking to each other about some significant challenges my client had because of bad product and bad product performance but they spoke very softly to each other. And when they started to get a little bit more expressive, they even got softer. And I finally mm. had to break a little bit of the ice saying, Steve and Vance, would you please speak up so I can at least hear what you guys are saying? Because they kept <laughs> on talking so softly, but that was their way to make sure that everything was de-escalated. So I do yeah. try and also to help, help people. And I've learned it myself, even though, you know, when you're in sales and customer, support, you know, you want to be expressive, you want to be, you know, uh, enunciate and everything, but it's like the softer you go, 
the less you're likely to go into that amygdala hijacking and keep yourself nice and calm. Yeah. Yeah. So. What, what questions do you guys have for, for Lori and Mark? You can chat them in, you can come off mute. And I know we're at our five o'clock, 502 actually. So if you have to drop, please, we, we totally understand. Yes. <laughs> I think she's going to say thank you for the great topic because it's so applicable anytime, but especially in today's time, right, of like political polarization and like we just had a session and we've released some articles on like calling each other out on or how to call people out on microaggression, you know, and there's just seems like there's so many unique, really tough conversations that are happening today that I just really appreciate what you guys brought to the table today. It's really, really great. Yeah, I would echo that, Laura. Thanks. Jeff. If you have some some trusted allies at work or personal or or wherever, um, these are these are great things to talk about with somebody to say, hey, I'm gonna work on some things. I'm gonna mm-hmm. I'm gonna try some different things. And could you help me? <laughs> right. I'm gonna try some some different like the the that just that sentence stem, you know, the story I'm making up is or mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going to change my posture when I get whatever those are, but, but the more you extrovert, Hey, I want to work on this thing and tell yeah. it to somebody, the more accountable it becomes for, for doing it right. To say, okay, for I'm sure. serious about this. So some of these little, these little tips and tricks can, can start to shift in small ways that make a really big difference in your impact, right. Or in granting other people a little more grace, for understanding their intentions. So awesome. Awesome. Thanks guys. Thank you so much. That was, that was amazing. You guys are amazing. (laughs) And, and, you know, I I think it's, it's, it's just that underscoring the, the point that, that we have choices in each of these interactions that we have to make. And we don't have to just ride the tide to wherever it goes. And that's, that's, that's the challenge, right? Making that intentional choice, managing that intention impact gap, right? Trying to make that gap as small as possible. Now, you guys are great. Thank you so much. All right. I'm going to give you some funny stuff, some good stuff and get you out of here. But as Lori said, I know that we're over time and Laurel would bust my ass about it if she were still here, but she left. So funny things from today. Funny thing number one. Here it is. 2020 email intros are getting creative. Hello, Laura. I hope you've been staying positive and testing negative. I'm so using that. I love it. (laughs) Uh, What if you found out your friend sticks his butthole in people's faces and carry around 10 concealed knives at all times? This is cats. (laughs) Wait, I don't get it. it. It's a cat. Oh, this is gas. <laughs> <laughs> there it is. I like watching the light bulb go off. That's my favorite. <laughs> my five-year-old is rebelling against Zoom school by mouthing words instead of speaking so as to make her teacher think there's something wrong with the unmuting function. <laughs> oh, genius. <laughs> At five, right? <laughs> uh, this one just made me laugh. Mentally, I am here. Hamlet. Oh, fuck. Exit (laughs) Hamlet. (laughs) Spelling bee judge, your word is Steve. Starbucks barista. Oh, no. (laughs) Hey, Lori, what's your name at Starbucks? It's often Maureen. (laughs) Right? Or Gloria. (laughs) I get Gloria and Maureen. I'm like, Lori? (laughs) And my favorite funny thing today, my mother has truly produced the pumpkin of our era. Oh, my God. (laughs) Oh, today's good stuff. I love this story. So this is a story from from a guy called Ethan Anderson, where his his grandfather left an old bucket of baseballs that he found in his garage at the batting cages with this note on them. And the note said, 
Hope someone can use some of these baseballs in the batting cages. I found them cleaning out my garage. I pitched them to my son and my grandson for countless rounds. My son is now 46 and my grandson is 23 years old. I am 72 and what I wouldn't give to pitch a couple of buckets to them. They have both moved away. If you're a father and cherish these times, you won't believe how quickly they will be gone. Hmm. Yeah. Nice. Good stuff. Yeah. And then today's today's semi-quarantine cocktail is I'm just fucking tired. <laughs> it's, it's a riff on the gimlet. You need two ounces of gin or vodka. I can't take even one more crisis. A little bit of lime juice. And can the election be over already? And seriously, that's all there is in a gimlet? It's vodka and lime juice? Really? I didn't know that. <laughs> oh, you guys are amazing. Thank you so much. Thanks to Lori and Mark for all their all their good work today on Difficult Conversations and helping us unwire our amygdala hijacks and the stories that we write. You guys are all amazing. I love each and every one of you. Big ups. We'll see you next week. Next week, we're going to... Oh, next week's going to be fun. Ben's going to be on next week. He's going to do some magic and some communication talking. So you don't want to miss Ben. Next week's going to be a good one. All right, guys, if you have any, any ideas, questions, ideas for topics, people we should talk to, please let me or Lori know, and we will get that on the schedule. Love each and every one of you. We'll see you next week. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you had a good time and learned a thing or two at today's happy hour, please share it with your friends. If you want to join our tribe, head on over to skyteam.cloud forward slash TCB or email us at info at skyteam.com. That's S-K-Y-E team.com. Thanks again. And remember, you've always got friends at the Corporate Bartender.